0: Well, hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 52 of Level Up, 60 minutes of live Q&A, where your questions and votes, of course, drive everything that we do. Use the Slido link that we're going to post in the chat to vote up the questions that you would most like answered, and of course, to add your own. We're live Mondays at 8am UK time and Fridays at 2pm, live streamed to both YouTube and LinkedIn. And of course, you can find out a lot more about what we do at APMG by visiting our website, apmg-international.com. Today, we're going to be talking all about managing rapid digital transformation, how we keep pace with this, and what the key ingredients are for delivering faster and better than ever before. So let's jump straight in. We're going to meet our panel who are waiting for your questions. Farah Heber um, returns for her second appearance on Level Up. Farah describes herself as being very detail-oriented. She's a product owner and trainer, of course, over at Arval works across industry, France and Switzerland, and more recently in North Africa as well, making her second appearance on Level Up today. So welcome back, Farah. Great to see you.
1: Thank you, Nick. I'm delighted to be with you today. Thanks for Im- inviting me again. And I'm looking forward to answering very well. the question. That seemed really great.
0: Okay, excellent. Thank you very much, indeed. And so am I. That's a relief to me, otherwise I have to answer them. So I'm really looking forward to that and learning from you, Farrah. So thank you uh, for coming back to us again today. Uh, Marlini um, uh, uh, Jagnes, uh, she was featured actually um, for two years running in the top business relationship managers globally, and she's won five Global Excellence Awards. She's a creative problem solver who makes great connections with customers and colleagues, and she's returning for her third
2: appearance today. So welcome back, Melini. good to see you.
3: Thank you, Nick, I'm delighted to be here. I'm looking forward to having um, some robust conversation around rapid digital transformation.
0: Thank you very much indeed. Johan Bota is a digital change provocateur who works with his clients to build their organizational agility. And um, Johan's been uh, appearing um, multiple times actually now on Level Up. I've kind of lost track of just quite how many times. Well, welcome back, Johan. It's great to see you again, my friend. Um, thank you
2: for joining. Thanks, Nick. And this time it's my passion. So looking forward. Okay, excellent. Thank you very much
0: indeed. S.P. Singh is a Principal Consultant over at Barney Consulting and is making his second appearance today on the panel. S.P. works closely with C-suite executives to facilitate digital transformation and brings out the very best in his clients. So welcome back, S.P. Great to see you. Thank you. Nick.
2: appreciate it. Looking forward to it.
0: Good, good. Tim Whittaker is the owner and director of Ipso Facto Training and has a broad range of practical experience in delivering transformational projects and programmes. He's a passionate leader and coach. Tim returns for his
2: second panel appearance today. Welcome back, Tim.
4: i Nick. really looking forward to this.
2: Excellent. Thank you very much.
4: Now,
0: then, to all of you who are watching online, don't be shy, please. Do do introduce yourselves in the chat. Tell us whereabouts you're watching from in the world. And let's get those questions into the panel. If you type them in the chats on LinkedIn or on YouTube, one of our colleagues will pick them up and bring them over. Alternatively, just point your phone at the little QR code on the screen and that will jump you straight into Slido where you can enter them yourself and it gives you the chance to vote ups that you most would like answered as well. Our question master for today, managing all of that, is Sachitra Jacob and she is joining us from Bangalore in India. So welcome Sachitra.
2: May we have our first question please.
5: Hi everyone. The first question is from Julie in Paris, France. What are the most common challenges encountered When launching a digital
6: transformation
0: journey. Excellent. So um, let's start off with Johan and
2: then Malini, please.
6: I'll, I'll just start with, for me, the most frustrating thing is the leadership of the organization knows that they need to do something. Because they heard the word digital, they want to make it somebody else's problem. Transformation is about, The
2: organisation. It's a strategic decision, and it must start with leadership. Thank you very much indeed, Marlene. Well,
3: um, you know, to to uh, pick up, you know, on what Johan has just said, I think one of the key, most common challenges is narrowly defining digital transformation as being all about IT, rather than recognizing it's actually about the entire organisation, and therefore paying particular attention to um, creating strategic partnerships uh, and sustaining that for the longer term is actually really critical for a successful outcome.
2: It's so important,
0: isn't it, to think about it in that context and not as an IT-centric you know, kind of activity. You're absolutely right. Thank you very much indeed, Marlene. very insightful. Um, Farah and then SP.
1: On my side, I would say that it's having the right expertise to lead the digital transformation initiatives. Many companies today start and lead digital digital transformation initiatives, even if they do not have the expertise. And it might be a mistake as digital transformation is not just a technological shift, but uh, a business model transformation as well. So it's not, I would say, a shame to ask for advice, especially in this fast-paced and rapidly changing domain.
0: I I completely agree. And that's the whole purpose, really, of kind of coming together as a community to kind of talk these things through because there are great opportunities, but there's also some really tricky moments kind of along the way. So, getting help is the right thing uh, to do. Absolutely. Thank you, Farah.
2: Um, SP, your thoughts, please.
7: Yes. uh, I think it's ultimately the alignment between the business. So, what uh, executive or sponsor meant by business or digital transformation could be much different from a project manager who is managing that, or who will be managing the project versus the department leads, versus the people who are on the shop floor. So the definition scope and the ultimate meaning of business and digital transformation can be much different. So I think one of the key challenges is how we can bring that alignment. So from top down, there's a, Clear message, what we mean by digital transformation, and we can paint a vivid picture as what it means for the business and how it is going to change our day-to-day lives, how it is going to change and impact our customers and so forth. I think alignment is a key challenge uh, that differentiates among different stakeholders. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely right. I mean, we
0: often talk about these things, you know, there these sorts of phrases that just roll off the tongue, and particularly with senior people, you know, you kind of talk about, you know, the business strategy or digital transformation, or we're going to go digital first and these kinds of things. But, it's trying to make those connections down to team levels and individual contributors and say, OK, what does this really mean? You know, what does it actually mean? How, how, is, how is this going to happen? What difference will it make? Why are we doing it? You know, all of those big questions. So it's a really great question to start us off. So thank you very much, um, Julie. What we'll do now is we'll move on to take our next question, Satya, if we can.
5: We have a question from Lydia in London. Can we imagine a kind of checklist to use while embarking on a digital transformation? If so, what would it include?
2: Okay, let's get underway with this one. Farah, start us off and then we'll hear from SP.
1: So, on my side, I would say that there is no perfect checklist but that you can imagine something like including the questions like, Are my leadership and teams bought in? Do we have like the appropriate skills and the expertise? Are my key processes identified for digital transformation initiatives? Or something like, do we have a data strategy? What are the barriers that we might face across the journey? It might help the team to focus on what we what would be the most interesting things to focus on during the first phases of the transformation And then uh, include something or include additional elements into the checklist for additional initiatives that might be, uh, let's say, uh, started later on.
2: Thank you very much indeed, SP. Then, Johan.
7: So, I think with the checklist, it depends upon who are involved in digital transformation. So, the different stakeholders would have their own checklist. As an example, a uh, sponsor of the digital transformation will be having a very separate or different checklist from the project manager and the checklist from uh, department leads will have a and and uh, it and it strategy the people deal with strategy they will have a different checklist so i think it depends on which viewpoint we look at the checklist would be different i'll just briefly touch on the sponsor and i think the checklist the standard checklist should it look like uh, why I'm doing it, like the al- alignment piece we already spoke about, and then following the digital maturity, what risks are we are aware of, who needs to be involved from a stakeholders' perspective, funding, uh, and so forth. So I think these are my two cents for the checklist, but it will be it will be dependent on pretty much who is involved, and the, the checklist will be different for each stakeholder involved.
0: Okay, thank you very much indeed. Johan, what are your thoughts on this?
7: You know,
6: because it's such a complex thing and people normally want to make something simple, we've got a very definitive checklist. So we literally go through a nine-step approach, which is iterative. And so as, as SP said, it starts with why. So you need to know what your purpose of the organization is. Um and then we define um what are the the drivers for transforming um then we need to think about what are we going to do first uh, then you need to create an environment in which the organization can change um then we we use our know, innovation as a as a catalyst for change so then it's about innovation it's about your business model it's about building stuff it's about Scaling, it's about making it operational. So that's our high-level checklist that we use, nine find steps. and We do that every three months. We go through that cycle. Okay.
0: Okay, interesting. Thank you very much indeed, Johanna. I think one of the things that I would say about checklists is that uh, at the beginning, you might want to include more questions <laughs> in your checklists than perhaps you do once you're you know, totally familiar with you know, how things are going and where you're going next, uh, if that makes sense. Uh, Beginning of things, having a checklist to make sure that you've asked the right questions is a super good start, you know, to anything and uh, then kind of move on from there. The the, the other thing that I would say is that, you know, is that one of those questions ought to be, you know, to Johan's point, you know, if you're starting with why, if you're starting to you know think about the purpose of your organisation then um that will help you a great deal and it will help you understand which parts of your organisation are best to lead with and which are better actually and are going to get more value out of phasing them in you know over time so um good luck with that it's a great question and i would love to be able to distill all of this stuff down to- down into a kind of, you know, a super simple recipe for success where you kind of start at A and end at Z and everything in the middle goes swimmingly. Unfortunately, life is just not like that. But great question nonetheless. So, Chitra, let's move on and we'll take our next question
2: if we can.
5: Question from Sophia. What are the skills required to manage successfully digital transformation projects?
0: To the skills, if you're managing digital transformation, Marlene, start us off, and then we'll hear from SP.
3: So I think we, you know, a broad range of skills are required. But I'll touch on on one, which is my area of um, uh, interest and, and passion, which is business relationship management. And it's not just about having a handful of people, you know, with the role title of business relationship manager, but it's actually about building the partnership or the relationship management capability within the organisation. So it always, you know, it, it takes two hands to clap. So just having, you know, a few people that are prepared for the trans, you know, for partnership is not enough. We actually need to bring everyone else along uh, and help them to understand why we need to change the way we work uh, and how to, to do that.
2: Thank you very much indeed. Um, SP
7: so I think there are quite a few skills that are broadly required in any transformation project. Uh, and they are like a pillars. So the architecture can be one pillar, and underneath the architecture we have a business architecture, systems, integration, and so forth. So it's one pillar and their whole skill set that supports that. Now there are other pillars like project management, business analysis, Change management and the, the technical development side of things. Uh, so, I think all these so five pillars support ultimate uh, sort of transformation. But the key thing that drives throughout uh, any engagement and implementation is the leadership. And that must be there within all these five different pillars and the project sponsorship and the executive sponsorship throughout the implementation. So I think yeah, these are the core skills that are most required for any digital transformation project.
2: Okay, thank you very much. Farah, what
0: are your thoughts about skills that are required?
1: I totally agree with ASP and Malini. And I would add that for me, what would be the most interesting is to have a kind of digital curiosity. You should have people that are keen to look for new trends, for new techniques that can be experienced that make, uh, I think, like benchmarks to try to figure out the best solution to try, especially on topics like data and digital security, for example. And when we speak about digital transformation, we usually speak about a huge amount of data collected and managed. So having such kind of curiosity might be uh, a real asset for the company and for people that are working on such kind of initiatives.
0: Mm, I'm loving that digital curiosity. Fantastic. Thank you very much indeed. Johan, your thoughts, please.
6: I think broadly across the teams that's involved is we need to make sure that people know and understand how to innovate. And that sounds weird to say, yeah, because we we tend to think that innovation is an innate ability. But it's a process, it's something that you can learn. Um and and I think the 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 next thing that I want to say is is um Agile Leadership. So go and watch episode 51. Um, You will get some great tips in terms of the the skills that
2: leaders would need um, on your digital transformation journey. Yeah, it's a really good point, actually. That was
0: a cracker. So um, very worthwhile doing that. Um, Tim, what what are your thoughts about kind of required skills? What would you encourage people to develop?
4: Yeah, I, I think that one of the problems is uh, when, with some companies that become really entrenched in their old practices, um, you can get uh, new management coming in, in you know, junior managers who have new ideas, uh, who find it difficult to sort of get through uh, these old working practices. And I think my view is sometimes trying to work from within and trying to make change from within in an organisation, which have entrenched old practices, uh, it's is very difficult. Whereas having an external consultant come in seems to be uh, uh, the way forward. Um, senior management seem to listen to uh, people from outside of the organisation, even though there are so many times they can have internal skills, but they don't seem to want to listen to that.
2: Mm, getting those voices heard
0: is such a key part you're absolutely right tim you know and creating as a manager you know if you're project managing or if you're managing a function you know creating the space in which people feel safe you know to come forward you know with those ideas yeah. and uh, um, and so on is is such an important element of how you manage uh digital transformation successfully um Uh, So some great thoughts there from our panel. Now, I know that there's lots of people watching online. I can see the stats. So um, that's really good of you. Thank you for joining us um, on a Monday. And what we'd really like you to do, though, is for you to ask your questions. OK, that's why we're all here every Monday and every Friday. That's what we do. So um, type away, put your questions into the chat. OK, we'll lift them up and we'll put them in front of the panel within the next few minutes. So, Chicha, let's press on, please, and we'll take our next question.
5: Question from Jean in Southampton. When the senior management and culture of an organisation don't embrace change, how can the rest of the organisation move forward digitally?
2: Mm, It's quite a good
0: point, isn't it, how this leadership comes from the top. Tim, this is to your point that you've just spoken about, really. So let's start with you and then we'll hear from SP.
4: I think with enormous difficulty um, uh, and in my experience, it's again down to senior management, and if senior management don't want to embrace change, then junior managers or other managers are going to find it extremely difficult to make any change. So, as has been said before, uh, it's it's really up to senior management and the leadership to to move forward uh, with digital transformation. Um, yeah, I, I think as well, it's larger non-profit making organizations in my experience where i've seen this quite a lot and even when sometimes senior management do come into the organization uh the rest of the organization because they're so entrenched in their old working practices and particularly the it department um they just struggle to move forward okay so thank you very much sp
2: Okay. All right. Thank you. SP and then Farah.
7: Thank you. I agree with Tim. I think there is no easy way if the uh, uh, culture and management is not supportive of change. And uh, it's like the engine is not moving and you want to move the uh, to the crane. You can push. You can go so far. So it's it's a hard process. But I think while if there is a possibility if there are capabilities within the team itself, one should always try and consider yourself if you are in such a situation as if you are a startup, that means you are by your own tools. So if you can simplify business, if you can simplify the processes, if you know how to code or or do some some scripting in-house, you can do little hustles as a, think of yourself as a startup, but I don't think any major transformation is possible. So what could happen is you do this side hustles and it, the management, and there you, you make some positive uh, outcome and some, something really shifts. And it may be you are all of a sudden supported by management as well as culture sort of evolves from there. So I would say, don't stop, try whatever you can. But it's a hard one. Uh, you must need a management support. To move from absolutely. A Thank you
0: very much and... indeed, SP. Uh, Farah and then Marlene, please.
2: Thank you, Nick. Uh,
1: absolutely. I do agree with what SP just said. Uh, if you don't have the support from your senior management, it would be very difficult for people uh, down there to try to figure out how to move on and move forward on digital transformation. On my side, I would, uh, let's say, focus on two main things. First is that uh, even on your own perimeter, you need to understand why the senior management you're working with uh, is resisting what's, let's say, the root cause. Uh, and some, let's say, practical things to do would be maybe to try to figure out some quick wins, what can be done within your own perimeter so that you can show results and try to convince them using internal examples and at the same time move forward on a small scope. Uh, also, you can, let's say, organize a short session to share those quick wins results uh, and uh, the items that you have identified so that you can spread the mindset slowly within your organization. And maybe it will help senior management figure out what would be interesting for the, or- the organization, what would be the positive results of uh, that kind of initiatives.
2: Absolutely. Thank you very much indeed. Um, Marlene?
3: Well, um... I think, uh, you know, what Farah has said was pretty much what I was going to say in that, I think you do need to uh, look into why is it uh, the senior management or the rest of the organization, you know, why is it they're hesitating to make the change? Um, but I think you really can be a leader from from any, any position, right? And we don't need permission to do our jobs well. That is something that I have learned, you know, uh, in, in the course of my career that sometimes we actually uh, do expect our senior management to um, to to give us permission for things that we really don't need to wait on them for um so I would encourage you to try and push the boundaries a bit. you know they say it's easier to apologize than to ask for permission. there might be some uh, you know some some of that uh, that you can do uh, in your space team. Uh, and then that will create, um, hopefully, that will actually create some momentum, and others will see your example and follow it. So all the best with that.
0: Yeah, absolutely right. Um, just a couple of thoughts uh, for you: if you're working in an organisation like that, whether it's uh, commercial or not-for-profit, on the commercial side, a great thing to do is to look at um, examples from either from your industry or from other industries where you've noticed that an organization has taken a leap forward. Um, If we go back about 40 years, I would say, not quite 40 years, probably 30 years ago, the insurance industry was largely a retail experience for most consumers. So you went along to a physical branch, rather like a bank or a building society and these kinds of things, and you sat down. And you you bought insurance over the counter, or you sat down with an advisor and you bought insurance that way. And then um, somebody came up with the idea of using the telephone and not having agents and just selling insurance directly over the telephone. And um, th- that was not driven by uh, technology particularly. That was just somebody thinking we could do this differently. And they revolutionized the way in which um, retail insurance is now sold. So an extraordinary change that was driven by an idea, by an innovation. Other things were being sold direct. Why not insurance? And now you can buy houses on the internet. You can do all kinds of things that you couldn't previously do. And it's the same kind of thinking. The other side of it, if you're working in a nonprofit, is to actually look at ways in which other nonprofits have delivered better value against their charter. So um, what I'm thinking here is, is non-government organisations, um, membership bodies and so on, who are not for profit. Um, look at the charter and then think about the services that are being delivered at the moment and what value could be added. What would the reach increase by if you were able to reduce the barrier To access for those services and those offerings to a broader group of people. So not-for-profit can gain from digital transformation as well tremendously. They can make better use of finite resources. They can deliver better outcomes and all of that good stuff. Excellent. Very good panel. Thank you very much indeed. Some great ideas there about how we help senior managers buy into um, uh, digital transformation and the change that it brings. So Chitra, let's move on please and uh, go for our next question. Well, we
5: have a question from Anuj Sood, who's asked uh, a question in the live LinkedIn chat. How can we digitalize in social work?
0: Okay, so um, thanks very much for um, asking the question, Anush. Um Before I'm going to uh, go to um, Johan, I just want to share with you a little bit. I think one of the things about working in um, uh, in delivering um, social services to citizens, is it's a tremendous responsibility to be omnipresent. Now, in reality, of course, none of you can do. You do a fantastic job at it. And I'm a huge admirer of everybody who's delivering um, social work in whatever country and whatever circumstance you're working in. So very well done for for doing that, helping the most vulnerable of our society to improve uh, their their lives and their um, opportunities. And um, I think one of the ways in which we can do that is to reduce those case burdens on you and improve that uh, inter interagency and interdisciplinary work so that teams. Can work rather than uh, individuals having to share the burden of communicating all of that content all of the time. Um, so that's just one thought where digitalization may well um, help you, Johan. What are your thoughts?
6: Yeah, I think at the end of the day we must we must be where our constituents are, and let's face it, our constituents are online these days. Um, so your 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 engagement mechanisms. On social platforms, I think it you know, becomes much more important uh, for you to see what's busy happening on those platforms It um, sort of shares an undertone in a, in a society. Um, and, and then obviously there's, there's tons of collaboration tools and, and communication tools that can be used today. But I, I think if, if you're in social work, you, you need to be very sensitive of, of what's happening. On, on these social platforms that would give you some awesome leads in terms of where needs are or dangers are for that matter.
2: Yeah, you're
0: absolutely right. Uh, multi-channel um, access is so, so, so important so that people can actually you know begin to engage with, citizens can begin to engage with the social provision that is available to them you know, in a whole variety of different ways. And, of course, there are also you know, individuals who are disenfranchised in the digital area, you know, those who um, are vulnerable and are not digitally capable. And so, you know, there needs to be a real empathy here for the, the way in which services are positioned. You know, digital only um, is going to exclude some people. Digital first is going to create an imbalance in some societies and in some sectors of society. And uh, not digital at all is ignoring... You know the trend in the market, and to Johan's point, you know, go where your customers actually are likely to be, and spend time there. Yes, Johan, go ahead.
6: What What's really interesting? I'm working with a startup that's uh, their their whole business model is to actually give free data to people who can't afford it. Um, and and you'll be surprised about the research of the level of involvement of people on digital platforms, um, virtually. Everybody uh, these days have got you know, some form of access, normally a handheld device where they can interact. Um, and that's why uh, yeah, I think this whole idea is so brilliant is because you, you enfranchise <laughs> people to be able to fully participate by giving them data for free.
2: Absolutely right. We saw a lot
0: of this during the pandemic where people scrambled to um, you know, find the devices that they'd upgraded. You know, and They had them in drawers and cupboards and this kind of thing, and then they, they, they donated them. And through that donation, we suddenly got a huge increase in access to digital services um, by a whole range of different people. Um, SP, what are your thoughts on this? And then we'll hear from Malini.
7: Yeah, I believe... Uh digitalizing social work should not be considered any different from any other industry. So it must, so whatever we just discussed before, it it all comes into place, why we are doing it, stakeholders and so forth. But I think the technology that we have now, it is phenomenal. So as an example, if we we just flip our standards, everyone is aware or most of us are aware of the DRMs, what customer relationship management software does. So if you flip that out like other way, it can be used for a uh, social work where uh, the individuals who are using the end users of customer relationship management software, they can add all these accounts, all this relationship with the, the, the people who are seeking social services. And all those details can be the part of the centralized database. The analytics comes out of it and so forth. So I think there are whole suite of software out there. We can utilize those capabilities just out of the box. And that will offer a lot of value in this specific sector. Uh, I'm doing some some work with uh, a few of the, the original corporations. And uh, I think the, the there is a, a lot of service that needs to be offered in this specific uh, industry. So, And in general, I don't think we should be considering digitalizing social work any different from any other industry. So we should follow the strict methodology, uh, the, the, the preference. But the good thing is the capabilities are there in the market. Software exists in the market. We should be choosing the right software and start utilizing it out of the box, and that's where the real value is.
2: Okay, thank you very much, Marlene, and then Farah. So something that
3: SP touched on was about, um, you know, when, when, when he spoke about um, CRM systems, it kind of made me think, you know, these days people who, um, who um, require or present themselves for uh, social uh, services, actually have a complexity of needs right and often the agencies that deliver these services might be uh, more often they're not specializing in one particular area they might be specializing in providing services for people with disabilities or for you know people who are homeless and so on but you could very well have a, a, a someone who is experiencing domestic violence who might also have a disability who might actually be at risk of becoming homeless and so on and so We can actually use technology to connect all these dots and provide them with a more integrated, um, you know, the more integrated sort of support that they need. Um, And I think that's that's an area in which uh, digital, uh, you know, capabilities can actually really make a difference. That we are able to support, um, you know, individuals and and societies in a much more holistic fashion.
0: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. It, it's, it's incredibly fatiguing for individuals and families to have to explain their situation multiple times over and uh, to different agencies. And over time, it becomes you know, disenfranchising, actually, for that to happen. So you're absolutely right, Marlene. So thank you for those thoughts. Um, Farah, final thoughts on this one, please.
1: So on my side, I would say that Let's think of it from another perspective. Usually when we speak about digital, we always think first about the, let's say the end client, the end customer. Whereas in here, when it comes to social services and social work, what pops into my mind is the people that are behind the scene, the people that are helping, that need also some digitalization on their work, on the way that they are providing such kind of services. So they need a lot of time to provide real value to those customers, if I can say so, so they need also some kind of initiative on their side, and we do not we do not want to forget them into uh, this kind of let's say uh, transformations. so when we speak about digital transformation, just keep in mind that there are sometimes multiple perspectives. you have the end customer, the one that is uh, let's say living with your products using your services and your products, and you have also the people that are behind the scene that need some time to provide this kind of value. And let's say a more added value
2: actions. Yeah, I
0: completely agree. And, um, you know, that whole value chain, as Farah mentioned, is so important when considering the impact of digital transformation and the governance that should go with it. You know, after all, um, social work is generally a face to face activity, quite rightly. Um, It's delivered by a whole variety of different professionals in different circumstances all around the world. different ways so um, making sure that there's the governance around that digital transformation and giving the right level of help and enablement is very important and I would say listen to the practitioners the practitioners know (laughs) you know at the sharp end uh, what are the challenges and and what are the opportunities ahead of them so um, so please do do that all right then so look let's move on if we can Satya please let's take our next question for the panel
5: Question from Amin, would it be interesting for a company to combine digital and agile transformation?
2: Okay, Johan, what are your thoughts on combining those two things? Is it different? I thought it's the same. <laughs> excellent. excellent, excellent. Yeah, thank you very much
0: indeed. You're absolutely right. And uh, SP, let's hear from you and then we'll hear from Farah.
7: Yeah, but I think uh, just going back to the question, yes, it will be interesting to combine both. And uh, from a definition perspective, uh, digital transformation we already covered. And my understanding is when we say Agile, Agile is the way we will be transforming digitally and enterprise. Uh, if the company has no... Capabilities or have is not mature enough from agility or agile perspective. Then combining two can be a risk, uh, but at the same time it will be interesting. Uh, but I think there's a risk factor. There's a change factor. So if, if an enterprise is thinking, I'm going to sort of change the way I do business, so I'm going to digitally transform. But I don't have agile practices of capability or maturity within a business, and I want to drive that in parallel. Uh, it's a good thing to do, uh, but it is, it is a lot of work. There is a lot of change, and there is a risk associated to this. So.
0: Yeah, I think I think you're right to flag up the maturity of the you, you know adoption of um, uh, agility, whether it's from the agile pure method point of view or more broadly from a, a way of thinking and a way of acting and a way of behaving, okay, um, because that can influence hugely the quality of the outcomes. Uh, Farah, what are your thoughts on this?
1: Um, on my side, I would say that agile is a kind of enabler for the digital transformation as the agile principles and the culture shift related, might be an opportunity for digital initiatives. And uh, we know that digital transformation is a kind of reinvention of uh, how the company operates, impacting processes, resources, priorities. So you need to experience new ways of working. You need to adapt constantly. And the more flexible and adaptive you are, the smoother the digital shift will be. Using agility is kind of, let's say, the um, most, let's say, interesting thing to do uh, for companies that want such kind of shift in such changes in their way of working.
0: Yeah absolutely Johan you started us off with this your your final thoughts on this one?
6: Yeah so I have yet to see a successful digital transformation where the organization didn't become agile with a small a first. Um, And and for me if 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 I see that the organization doesn't have the ability to do that shift first um i we tend to stand back and say, you know guys, this is what you need to be able you need to deal with ambiguity because part of of digital transformation is about moving faster um and 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 adapting to new realities." Um, so, if, if I have to start somewhere, I would not start with a, trans- a digital transformation. I would start, start with a mindset transformation um, where we think differently about what we do and how we do things.
0: Excellent. Thank you very much indeed, and some great answers. So thank you very much to uh, Amin for raising that question around thinking about organisational agility and um, digital transformation hand-in-hand. Some really good, insightful thinking there for everybody. If you're watching online and you'd want to put your question in front of the panel, then please feel free to go ahead. We've got quite a lot stacking up, uh, panel, so we're going to move fairly quickly now if we can do. So Chitra, next question, please.
5: Question from Nick in London. Many employees undertake repetitive tasks on a regular basis when working with data. What is the most cost-effective solution to resolve this problem?
4: Tim, start us off on this. Well, many people uh, these days use uh, Microsoft products. And one of the Office 365 Microsoft products that uh, people can uh often use well often uses is my excel another another tool that fits in nicer with that is uh power automate which is a free software tool that comes with uh the office 365 bundle and there's an awful lot of um uh capability uh, that comes with this suite and if you link that into uh, to sharepoint as well uh it would really work well but just, just going down to Uh, the nitty-gritty. Even from Excel, which a vast amount of uh, people across the uh, uh, world use, there's an awful lot of uh, functionality within the tool that allows you to automate uh, repetitive tasks. It's all about capturing data, transforming the data, and then reporting that data. And even from a user uh, perspective, and this is not technical, And even from a user perspective, uh, most users within organizations are capable of uh, of undertaking this. There's no programming. It's nice and simple. All right. Thank you very much indeed,
0: Tim. All right. OK. Thank you very much indeed. Might come back to that um, towards the end. So uh, really good thinking there about our own personal productivity and the suite of uh, desktop software that we tend to use. Um, SP, your thoughts, and then we'll hear from Farah.
7: Yes, as Tim as mentioned, two tools for Microsoft. But I think if you want to put in generic buckets, so it could be scripting can be one and scripting can be in any tool. It could be the existing ERP or CRM or package solution you're using. So anything which is being repeated, we be write a script, automate it, so you don't have to do that kind of process. Similarly, there could be batch processes, so things which are the sort of takes time and effort and they're resource-heavy. We can do them in batch using scripting and we do at the end of the day as with the banks, we use the code banking system. There are so many batch processes that goes over, uh, out of the business hours. Uh, And similarly, the workflows where uh, it is equivalent to a paper file. So uh, as a paper file moves from one disk to another, we can automate that process with uh, using workflows and all modern ERP, CRM package solutions, they offer these sort of capabilities out of the box. And if not, uh, then there can be uh, on the top, you can buy a BPM product. I think there is a lot of tools that are available to automate manual processes. We should be utilizing those capabilities.
2: Completely agree with you. Uh, Farah and then Johan.
1: On my side, I will not focus on a specific tool. I would just say that nowadays more and more companies are using what we call robotic process automation, so RPA, to end such kind of repetitive tasks that are time consuming. And this consists of kind of robots that emulate humans' actions, interacting with systems. So you need, of course, to understand the process, who does what, when, and how. You need to define your targets, uh, what's of added value in the process, what actions are not necessary so that you can build that kind of robot and test it. And uh, according to me, and I have lived it in several uh, uh, contexts, it makes the digital transformation a reality uh, because actions will be done faster and more consistently. It will save time for your teams for real data management and analysis. So uh, I have experienced that uh, within a company that tried uh, to launch such kind of digital transformation and to start by what they call the know your customer uh, analysis and it was a really time consuming task that we uh, that we let's say uh, enhanced and modified uh, with the help of such kind of rpas so it's really interesting and uh, you need to dig into this topic to understand how it works it's really of added value for companies
2: Thank you
0: very much. Great insight there from an experienced consultant who's actually doing this stuff. So, thank you very much indeed. Uh, Johan, what are your thoughts on, on, on this
6: removing the repetition? I concur with Farah. With um, RPA, absolutely. But I want to add something to the question, actually. And, and if there's lots of people doing repeated stuff, if you successfully let a robot do it, it means those people don't have something to do anymore. So th- that means we have to cross skill people to do something more meaningful. And that something more meaningful is solve problems because computers don't do it well yet. AI doesn't solve problems well, um, especially new problems, and be innovative. Um, so, yeah. I've had some customers where you know, their RPA initiative made 300 people redundant. I think that's a threat.
0: A you know, that makes a lot of sense. You know, preparing the organisation for the solution is is equally as important as preparing the solution for the organisation, and and that's a big part of you know thinking that more holistically. How can you make better use of the talent? And the skills and the commitment and the loyalty that you already have within your organization to make a real difference. One of the things that I would say is, you know, if you've got an awful lot of repetitive tasks going on and panel, I think you've done really well, actually, to to reflect Real life here, you know, we have a lot of colleagues working who are listening online, who will be working in organizations who imagine that Microsoft Excel is, is the database of choice. The vast majority of organizations use Excel to write things down in. They don't, they don't use them, use it to add it. Add things up. Yeah. Excel was designed originally to add things up. <laughs> Why are we yeah. writing so much stuff in Excel? What are we doing? That's not the right place to write things. Honestly, seriously, it really isn't, okay? So if you yeah. find that you're working a lot and you're writing an awful lot of stuff in Excel, <laughs> the chances are that's a, a really great opportunity to think differently and act differently and, you know, join in, join in with the modern age, you know, move on a little bit, all right? You don't need to do that kind of flat file ETL any longer, all right? So, so think about that a wee bit. The other thing that I would say is as well is that automating, you know, a, a bad process is is really not what digital transformation is all about. If you think about it, you know, just stop for a moment and think, how is it possible for you to use a phone Order some food, and it to arrive at your doorstep, and it's still warm. Now, okay, not everybody can do that. In my experience, it's it's only just warm, but nonetheless, you know, if you think about that, if you took a standard restaurant process and tried to replicate that with a little bit of machine learning and and a bit of automation, it would not work. It just would not work. Okay, so you do need to add some you know, real creative thought and do things a bit differently. So very good, but a great question. It really got us um, thinking, didn't it? And uh, so thank you uh, to Nick from London uh, for raising that one. Let's move on, please. So Chitra will take our next question.
5: Question from Peter in Perth. How can we ensure security is maintained throughout the rapid implementation of a new digital initiative?
2: Hmm.
0: Security and governance kind of go hand in hand, really, don't they? Both about the way in which the information flows around an organization, who is actually able to see it and use it, and, and how is it um, controlled within a particular process? So um, there's various levels to this. Um, let's start off with Johan, then we'll hear from Farah.
6: Yeah, I, I, I think what, what one needs to realize is that both your governance and your security Context uh, needs to be light and agile. Um, There's far too much things done in both of those spheres uh, that's done because it comes from a book. It's Control-C, Control-V. You really need to understand what matters. And if you understand what matters, you can make that part of the project. It's it's a, in in agile, we would say it's a non-functional requirement. Yeah. Um, and non-functional requirements don't disappear off your backlog, they stay there. And um, So, but don't try and
2: throw the book at it. That's the, that's the worst approach that you can have. Thank you very much. Farah? Um, I would say
1: that you will need from practical perspective to raise awareness among your team members and ensure that security is taken into account in the big picture. I mean in your strategy. Uh, you might need also to explain the risks and the impacts if the security aspect is not managed properly, that you can create a kind of, let's say, momentum into the team uh, and every time there is a new digital initiative that is launched, you ensure that security checks are made and that people are aware of what does it mean for them and what will be the risk uh, if it's not tackled.
2: Absolutely,
0: I'm spot on. So, thinking about the sensitivity of the information of the data that you're sharing, okay, throughout um, digital transformation is very important. If you're working with personal data, there's there's a huge opportunity for you to depersonalize that very early on. Actually, most most functions in organisations do not need the kind of level of personal data that uh, um, that is offered to them. Generally, it's just laziness. You're just exporting records, okay, and pushing them around. Around the organisation in a in a kind of uh, um, cut and paste kind of way, you know, as Johan was saying a little earlier, um, uh, it's not just personal data, of course, which is sensitive. There's a whole variety of different kinds of sensitivities, you know, where they have commercial risk, operational risk, a whole variety of different scenarios that you're trying to manage. And uh, Farah, you wanted to come back in.
1: Uh, yeah, I just wanted to say that today there are such um, there are a lot of new regulations that are driving us into such kind of security matters. Uh, you spoke about the personal data. I have worked uh, I worked lately on a project in which the GDPR regulation is a must-have. Every time that you need to deal with personal or financial information, you need to uh, let's say uh, define a um, um, define an anonymization mechanism. A um, Mechanism so that you can deal with the data, manage them, and then remove them if not necessary. so within this kind of topics and aspect, there are a lot of regulations that are driving us to to act better I would say
0: I completely agree so um the classic uh, advice here would be to first of all invest in somebody that understands uh data and can give you some good data governance around right, and provide you with um a data dictionary would be handy wouldn't it how many people work in organizations where you've got 15 different versions of dates and 23 different versions of who the customer is and all of this kind of stuff we've all mm. we all work in the real world so nothing is a greenfield site any longer And there's a big investment needed i would suggest in that and the other thing that i would suggest is that everybody thinks about is um Just fast forward now five years, okay? Okay. might be three years. In some countries, it's now. It's already here. And that is that the person who owns the information that you're using is not you. You may be the data controller. You may be the data processor. You, You may be needing to lease that information for a period of time, but you don't own it. The person who owns it is the person who gave it to you in the first place. So just consider that and think about retiring some of that personal data on a regular basis. You do not need to hold on to it. It's unnecessary. It's particularly unnecessary if you're sitting using Excel to do trend analysis. Why have you got people's names and addresses and emails in that? huge spreadsheet of yours. Why have you got there? You don't need that to do trend analysis. You just need the data, right? <laughs> you need to know who it is, who it belongs to. Anyway, let's move on a little bit. I think we've got time to take one more question uh, for the panel. So, Chitra, let's have that.
5: Question from Pierre in Geneva. What should an organisation do if the expected results from a digital transformation initiative are not met?
2: Marlene, start us off, please.
3: Uh, I, I would say that the first thing to do is try and understand why um, the expected results were not. Is it because, um, you know, we were over ambitious and maybe uh, set the wrong targets? Or is there something, you know, that we could have done differently in order to achieve that
2: outcome? Uh, and then start looking at, um, you know, addressing uh, those challenges. And on okay, my side, thank you very much indeed. Uh, yeah, Farah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted
1: to add something to what Malini has said, and that's very interesting. Indeed, you need to question the objectives, and you need also sometimes to meet your clients and your internal staff so that to, you, you can try to identify the root cause and to get uh, field insights. So you can organize interviews, you can organize observations or survey to understand the why of such kind of problems uh, that you have faced to meet uh, the objectives.
2: Okay, thank you. Aspi and then Johan.
7: Thanks, Nick. So I think digital transformation is a, is, is a complex beast. Things which we know today when we start the journey will be much different from when we complete the journey. So the objectives, the expectations that we set at the start and then there is so much learning that goes from where we started to where we are near the end of the project or that engagement. So from an expectations perspective, this is something we should try to educate all the stakeholders that, uh, though we have got these these objectives in mind, but as we move forward, things will change and while we are doing this digital transformation, the world is not stopping for us and there is a constant change that can impact that can impact the outcomes of the project that we are working on so with that in mind i think it is it is unless there is a bit of disaster but it is not too bad uh, if the expectations are missed and uh, there the no major impact to the overall objective of the engagement of all all the project. Uh, So I think the the expectations management and what we know at the start versus end is is the key thing. And secondly, if there is a a discrepancy, I think the, the lessons learned is something we, that's the outcome that we should leverage off. And this is something we should monitor not at the very end. It should be monitored throughout the implementation and see what where we want to head, are we heading there? If we are not, why? So that check should not be at the end. It should be throughout the implementation, throughout that sort of journey. Uh, yeah, these are to my two cents to, to the question.
2: Thank you very much indeed, Johan.
7: I'll be short.
6: Um, digital transformation has become some somewhat of, of a fad. So there's lots of people saying that uh, we're going to do something, but they don't really understand what it is that they want to do. So, One of the most important things in this whole journey is that you define your expectations and objectives well before you start. Um, far too many times in organizations, we find that if we ask different parties in the organization, so, so what is the expected outcome, the answers are, Vastly different.
2: Thank you very
0: much indeed. Well, look, thank you, everybody who's been online today asking the questions and driving the show. We really appreciate that. I'm going to invite our panel now uh, briefly just to give us your closing remarks. So, um, uh, Marlene, we'll come to you first and then hear from SP. I
3: would actually like to quote Wordsworth, you know, to begin, begin. Uh, and I think the best way to actually get momentum in your digital transformation journey is to find some things that you can change quickly, deliver
5: value early, and then build a bridge as you walk on it.
2: Excellent advice. Thank you very much, SP, and then Johan.
7: Thanks, uh, Yes, certainly, I agree with Malini. And uh, I think leadership, servant leadership, and throughout why we are doing what we are doing is E. And uh, there are com- the change is constant. So I think we need to be flexible and agile throughout uh, the
2: engagement. Thank you very much, Johan. And then Tim.
6: Don't do busy work. Um, really understand what it is that you're trying to do. I want to quote another Tim, Tim Woodhouse. He said, uh, digital transformation is about making beautiful butterflies, not fast caterpillars.
2: Excellent. Thank you very much indeed. Tim, and then Farah.
4: Nick, how do I top that one? I agree with everything that's been said. (laughs)
0: Okay. All right. Thank you very much indeed, Tim. Farah.
1: I would say uh, set realistic targets and share clear intentions to ensure that people follow the train and really embrace uh, the digital transformation.
0: Excellent. Thank you very much indeed. Sachitra, your thoughts on today's episode? It's
5: been a great show, Nick, and I thank you. Thanks to all the panellists for their great advice, and I enjoyed listening to all of you.
0: Absolutely. Thank you very much indeed, panel. And um, so look, in celebration of uh, reaching 50 episodes last week, um, we promised to give away some free examination vouchers. Uh, Now, these are particular uh, and they're focused in the world of service management as our episode 50 was all about future skills for service managers. Um, So they're going to be for you to be able to study for and take an examination in something called FITSM, which is a service management framework that was developed from uh, funding from the European Union. Okay. Now then, um, the exams are at foundation level, but for us to be able to do this fairly fairly, then we need a couple of random digits, please, uh, from the panel. So I'm going to actually ask um,
2: Farah. can you give me a, a number, please, between one and five? Three. Okay,
0: so we've got three. Thank you very much indeed. And Marlene, please, can you give me
2: a number then between um, three and eight? Five. Okay, thank you very
0: much indeed. So um, we have a winner, and it's a gentleman called Christoph um, Hutchins, uh, who I think looks like, uh, from his email address, he may well be in uh, either Germany or in Switzerland. So Christoph Hutchins, uh, congratulations. Uh, We will email We'll get in touch with you by email and so that we can connect you with the folks who have got the exam vouchers ready for you. All right, so very well done uh, for that. And thank you, everybody who uh, registered and who wanted to join in for that uh, giveaway. So very well done. Um, Over on our website, you can, of course, now search for and view answers to over 700 questions on apmg-international.com forward slash level up. It's an amazing free resource to connect you with over 100 experts now, from around the world and don't forget that you can also listen to the audio versions of the shows on your preferred podcast platform i was listening to one actually over the weekend uh, as i was walking the dog it was really good this coming friday we've got two shows coming up actually for you the first is in the morning and that's in german so um, tune into that if you enjoy the German language uh, or forward it on as a notification to any colleagues who who do know German. Uh, they're going to be talking about the reality of project management and delivery. And um, the second show on Friday is actually back in English again. It's in the afternoon. And we're going to be talking about improving the outcomes on PPP projects next Monday at the same time. Uh, 8 a.m. on uh, UK time, it's actually BST, <laughs> Okay. British summertime now, 8 a.m. UK time anyway, we're going to be talking about exam technique for agile project management. Subscribe to the show and we'll send you a personal summary of what's coming up and, of course, how you can join us here on the panel and level up your career with APMG. Thanks very much, everybody. We'll see you next time.